of the Lord. This morning, I want to welcome everyone here today to another day of celebration. I said of celebration. Hallelujah. What are we celebrating? We are celebrating life. And if you celebrate life, then you have to celebrate Jesus Christ, who is the resurrection and the life. They go hand in hand, and every day we should celebrate Jesus. But we should also be celebrating his resurrection. Because he says, because if he lives, we shall live also. Because Jesus came to give his life and give it to us more abundantly. And the very day you were born into this world, you were born into sin. And the only life you had was the days that God would afford you until your death here on this earth. For the wages of sin is death, for it is appointed to man once to die. But the moment you gave your heart and life to Jesus Christ, you were born again, and he gave you the gift of eternal life and abundancy of life to where you will only sleep the sleep of death because you will be resurrected to spend your life in eternity in your new home in heaven. So therefore, if you are a believer, regardless of what's going on in your life today, you should rejoice if for nothing else this morning for the mere fact that your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. And knowing this might make you want to stand to your feet right now and give God praise for your life. <laughs> Hallelujah. This is day of celebration. Praise the name of the Lord. He's worthy. Praise the Lord this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Remain standing for just a moment. Brother Bill, I'd like for you to pray over today's sermon. Amen. I've been praying for the spirit of the living God's voice to speak to us today. And today we're going to talk about why we should celebrate life today and every day. Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And then in verse 19, yet a little while and the world seeth me no more, but you see me because I live. You shall live also. Amen. Now, just so you know, all this stuff we've been doing this morning thus far is foolishness. That statement ought to wake you up. Now that I got your attention, let me finish that statement. All this stuff we've been doing this morning thus far is foolishness if Jesus isn't alive. And the point I'm making is, if Jesus is not alive today, then what have we done? By getting up early on this Sunday for most of our, us on our day off, 
wrestling with the kids to get them up out of bed and get them dressed, fighting with your spouse about they're going to make you late again, racing in here to get a seat just moments before service starts, then praying to a God who does not exist, then worshiping for 30 minutes and getting all excited at at times and getting all teary-eyed over a God who is dead, that would be nothing more than a bunch of foolishness. And we would be just a bunch of mindless, hopeless, deceived, religious fools. But because our God's not dead, he's surely alive, living on the inside, roaring like a lion, we too are alive this morning. And because he is alive and I'm alive, I can't help but praise him. I can't help but worship him. I celebrate life today because because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds a future and life is worth the living just because he lives. And if you agree, give him a shout of praise this morning. This is a celebration service. In 1 Corinthians 1 and 18, it says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. So as a believer, we don't get up early, wrestle with our kids, rush to get a seat to worship and pray to a dead God. We have come to worship a living God, that from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, he is worthy to be praised. Because he lives, we shall live also. Well, now, how can I be sure he's alive? Well, I believe I have two sources of proof. Number one, the infallible word of God declares that he was crucified buried, and on the third day he arose, that he is the resurrection and the life. And number two, I have personally experienced the resurrection power of Jesus. I, who once was dead in trespasses and sin, have been born again. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have been made new. I'm a new creature in Christ. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was dead, but because he lives in me, I am alive and free. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. And for this reason today and every day should be a day of celebration, not just for the fact that we are alive today, But we are alive forevermore. We have been given the gift of eternal life. Hallelujah. Now let's dig into why, as a believer, we should celebrate Jesus every day. And not just Jesus, but his resurrection as well. Let's get a mental picture of Jesus on the eve of his crucifixion. It was the night before they had planned to kill Jesus. Jesus had gathered in the upper room with his disciples for a time of food and fellowship. A time of spending time with and pouring into his disciples. One last time before his departure. And we find in John 14, they have been spending time together eating and sharing. And something has already happened prior to this. Jesus had done declared one of his disciples would, de- would betray him. And it would be the one whom he handed a piece of bread to after he had dipped it. And upon that statement, it becomes obvious Judas Iscariot was the one as he handed him the bread. Jesus looked him in the eye, and he instructed him, what you have to do, you do it quickly. So Judas rose up from the table. He left quickly that night, went out and betrayed the Lord, selling him out for 30 pieces of silver. The betrayal that night had begun to set prophecy into motion. 
And Jesus had told them in the 19th verse of chapter 14, a little while longer and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live, you will live also. He said that to them then, and he's still saying it today to his followers. He did not say, because I died, you will live. He said, because I live, you shall live. You see, a crucifixion was a common thing back then. They happened all the time. The simple fact that Jesus was flogged and crucified, that they put a crown on thorns on his head, and that he bled to death publicly, that fact alone did not make him the Messiah. Sorry. The fact that God raised him from the dead in three days as prophesied verified the fact that he was the one. So do you see the importance of the resurrection? You see, it was common in that day in Rome. Too often, all we lined up down the roads leading everywhere were people hanging on crosses and they were dying. It was a common thing to see it in that day. He shed his blood that Friday for my sins, and without the shedding of blood, there would be no remission of sins. But it is not the crucifixion in itself that gives me life. It's his resurrection that has the power to give me life and to give it to me more abundantly. That's why Jesus declared, I am the resurrection and the life. And that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that raised me and you from the dead. Also notice he wasn't the only one ever resurrected from the dead. People were raised from the dead in the Old Testament. People were raised from the dead in the New Testament by Jesus, by the apostles, by the laying on of hands. The difference is, though, when they were raised from the dead, they died again. Take Lazarus as an example. But when Christ was raised from the dead by his heavenly Father, he lives forevermore, declaring him as the Son of God. The Lamb that was slain, the way, the truth, and the life, the Messiah. And in him is eternal life. And this is what this celebration should be about every single Sunday morning. Now, how many have that perspective on Sundays? Honestly, do you get up all excited on Sunday about the fact, I'm going to church today to celebrate the fact that my God is alive, that I serve a risen Savior, and because he's alive, I'm alive? Jesus never intended for his resurrection to be promoted as just an annual religious celebration only celebrated once a year on a day we call Easter. Easter is a factual date of his resurrection. He was buried on that Friday, then he arose on that Sunday. But the celebration of his resurrection was never to be delimited to just one day a year. We should celebrate Jesus every day, even more than just on Sunday. Because he lives today, we can live today, and we should rejoice. I say again, we should rejoice. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Come on, make some noise in this house this morning for our Lord and Savior. Give him praise this morning. See, he never meant for, for once a year for people to get a little stirred up and actually get up and come to church with a cute little outfit on and hunting Easter eggs. Matter of fact, I think that really perplexes him because he knows he never made a rabbit to lay eggs. In fact, if you're visiting us today and you're wondering why we get so excited every Sunday other than just Easter, it's because we are still celebrating his life and his resurrection. We are celebrating the life that he's given us and the abundance of it. 
We do this same thing every Sunday, not just on Easter Sunday. Why? Because he's the same today and yesterday and forever. Hallelujah. We shouldn't just talk about his resurrection on Sunday. We should talk about his resurrection on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Why? Because he has resurrection power every day. And every day he is raising the dead to life so that we can walk and live in his resurrection power. There are people and even our loved ones at times that are leaving this world every day, going home to be with Jesus, dying in the flesh, in their mortal bodies, but being raised by his spirit into an immortal body that lives forever and ever according to the promise of eternal life by which we may receive because what Jesus done at Calvary. See, I heard an old, old story, how a Savior came from glory, how he made the lame to walk again, and how he caused the blind to see. See, victory in Jesus. He's my Savior forever. Even today, somebody will go home to live eternally forever and ever in the splendor of heaven because he was risen from the dead. We may be risen from the dead. And as a believer, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead will be the same power that raises us and them from the dead. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so this morning. Somebody shout amen. amen. See, this is my lifestyle. I'm not just some hyped up religious person. No, I'm excited because I know that that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead over 2,000 years ago is in this room today. So I ought to be just as excited today as they were back then. It's not just something they experienced back then. It's something I have experienced and something you too can experience today. Because the same Jesus that died for them died for me. The same Jesus that saved them saved me and can save whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord. And that's what God wants me to convey today, that we ought to rejoice every day about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We ought to celebrate Jesus every day. That I'm to be excited about his resurrection today, just as much as I am on Easter, just as much as I am this morning, and as I will be tomorrow morning. Because it was at the cross of Calvary that the plan of salvation was completed by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the sacrificial lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. And three days later rose again and walked out of that grave as a victor over death, hell, and the grave. Purchasing security for the believer, guaranteeing a victorious life. That's what he meant when he said, because I live, you will live also. After today, he said, the world will see me no more, but you will see me. You see, there's something special about a child of God, about those who believe on him. And that's the only way you can be a child of God. You're not a child of God because you go to church. I know for some of you going, I know that. That's old stuff. Hey, but I'm not speaking to you. I'm speaking to someone else who was like you and like me before we knew God. So please let me finish before you shut me down. You're not a child of God because you can quote scriptures. You're not a child of God because you pay tithes. You are a child of God only if you have been born again. Now, for someone who just heard that, you may be wondering and asking, how can a person be born again? That's a very fair question to ask. It's been asked before in John 3. 
There was a man named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, who came by night to meet with Jesus and asked Jesus, what do I must, do, must I do to be saved? And Jesus told him, you must be born again. And this man, like you, asked that very question. How can you enter into a mother's womb a second time? And Jesus explains to him, I'm not talking about being born again naturally. I'm talking about being born again spiritually. You see, this man was alive in the physical, but he was dead spiritually. And every one of us is born into sin. Our spirits are dead. But when we're born again, spiritually speaking, our spirit comes alive. You must be born again by the Spirit of God. By asking Jesus to forgive you of your sins, come into your heart, and be your Lord and Savior. It's at that moment you are redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You become that new creature. Behold, old things are passed away. All things become new. Your spirit comes alive with the promise of eternal life. And that would not even be possible had it not been for Jesus and his resurrection power. See, I want you to know there is a distinction between a believer and an unbeliever. A child of the light and a child of the darkness. Those who have hope and those who have no hope. See, there's an instance in the Bible in the book of Luke. That Sunday morning after they had crucified Jesus and had laid his, hand, his body in a tomb, two ladies went to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus. Upon them arriving, they noticed the stone had been rolled away. And they hurried into the tomb to find Jesus' body was gone. Standing there in awe and anguish, two men dressed in white appeared unto them. And they said to the ladies, he's not here. He's risen as he said. Then they asked the ladies, why do you seek the living among the dead? They weren't just talking about physical existence. You see, you can be alive and dead at the same time. You can get up, go to work, go to lunch, go play a round of golf and still be dead in trespasses and sins, spiritually speaking. You're dead spiritually when you have no relationship with God. You are a dead man walking. So he is saying there's a difference between the dead and the living. Jesus made the distinctions when a young man came up to him. And Jesus said to him, follow me. And the young man said, certainly I will. But first let me go home and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury the dead and you come follow me. He wasn't implying that to all of those folks who were stretched out on the ground like a dead corpse with rigor mortis setting in. He was saying, let the people who are walking around making funeral arrangements and making money burying the dead. But if you truly want life, follow me. The Lord was making a distinction between the living, the dead, the hopeful, and the hopeless. And he tells us in his word there are two kinds of people, saved and lost, believers and unbelievers. When you're saved, you have hope no matter what comes your way because Jesus is coming back. And Paul said, if in this life only you have hope, we're men are most miserable. I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more hope I have. I've got a greater expectation of my future. My life is not always going to be like this. While I'm plagued with burdens and worries and afflictions and trials and struggles in this life, I hang on to what I know. And that is, I cannot lose. I cannot be defeated by my enemies. I cannot die. He cannot destroy me. I can stumble, but I'll get back up. I may fall, but I'll stand up again because no weapon formed against me shall prosper because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Hallelujah. See, I'm listening for a trumpet to sound any day. Hallelujah. Not everyone's going to hear it. Just the believers. Then suddenly, faster than I can blink my eye, I'm going from glory days to glory days. That's my blessed hope. 
Does that mean that everything down here is going to be great till it happens? No. Does it mean no more struggles because I believe it? No. Life is tough sometimes. There's times we can all be hard to get along with. There's time I don't, sometimes I don't like Christians. There's sometimes I don't like you. And there's sometimes you don't like me. Sometimes we get tired and aggravated with each other. But I know this. We are all bought with a price. And as different as we are, and as aggravating as we are, and as distant as we are, we all have one thing in common, and that is because he lives, we shall live also. Let's think a moment about that night when the light turned on for the disciples in that room with Jesus. In chapter 13, they go into the room. And in chapter 14, 15, 16, 17, all takes place in that room that night. You see, the chapters and verses get us all mixed up sometimes. We start thinking it was different days and places. No, he said all of that in those four chapters that night in that room. So he sets them down. They were served the food and the wine for the supper. They sat in a fellowship for a while. Then Jesus says, one of you will betray me when I dip my bread. Whoever I hand it to will be the one. He dipped it and handed it to Jesus and tells him, what do you have to do? Do it quickly. And Jesus runs out of the house. He runs down the road and sells Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. Upon leaving Jesus sitting with the remaining disciples in this room, now let me paraphrase. Jesus tells them, fellows, it's time I got to go away as I told you before. And his words begin to dawn on them. He's been saying this for three years. He had told them the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of wicked men and be crucified and buried, but on the third day I will rise again. And even though they had heard him make that statement over and over, it never really sunk in that he was serious until now. They were like, we heard you, but we never really thought you would. I mean, this man they believed in, they believed in him so much that they forsook their jobs and their families to simply follow him. And now you're just going to leave? You chose us, and you told us to follow you, and together we advanced the kingdom of God, and, he said, and we said, you can count us in, to the point we're sitting in this room hid out because there's a bounty on our heads, and the religious leaders want us dead, and they're paying Roman soldiers to find us and kill us in all time, of all times. Now you're going to leave? These men were shaken, and Jesus affirmed to them, I must do this. But listen, he says, to the promises that I leave you. I'm going to leave you for a little while so I can prepare a place where I am. You may be also. I'm coming back for you. He's telling them not to panic. Do you think just because I'm gone, the gospel won't be shared, that miracles won't still happen? Hey, Greater things than this, what we have done, you will do by the power that worketh in you. This is why I called you. Greater works than this will happen. More people will be saved. More people will receive miracles. More, more, more will happen. It's not over, men. It has just begun. Because if I go away, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, and he will dwell in you and never depart from you. I came, I'm going to leave for a little while, but when I do, he will come and help you till I come back again. 
So let not your hearts be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. Be not afraid or dismayed. Whatever you see happens is just temporary. It's the Father's plan. This is the will of God, and I must do this. Now, what they didn't realize is while he was gone and while they were hiding out in this room after the crucifixion, scared and confused, feeling neglected and forsaken, they had no idea what was going on in the underworld, that Jesus just went down into the bowels of hell and confronted Satan and defeated death, hell, and the grave by taking the keys from Satan and setting the captives free. And unto the prophets of old and the Old Testament people, he revealed himself to them. He said to them, men of old, I am the one you wrote about. I am the one you preached about. And the Bible says on that resurrection morning, the power of his resurrection caused graves to burst wide open. And those who had died in the Lord arose out of those graves and were seen walking the streets of Jerusalem. Church, he opened up hell and shipped all the captives to heaven. Because he was alive, they were alive also. Have you ever noticed that everything that the human race does, it does it with death in mind? The first, Adam disobeyed God and brought sin and death into the world. And death has loomed over the human race. The wages of sin is death. Death isn't just a body in a box. We're born into death when we're born into sin. And everything the world does without knowing it, they do it in a sense of panic. They have to do it before they die. Anybody in here got a bucket list? See, when a baby is first born, they give it shots right away. Everything we do, we do it to prevent and prepare for death. So we give a baby shots to prevent diseases from taking its life prematurely. We spend trillions of dollars every year to prevent or prepare for death. Billions of dollars of medical research, medicine, safety equipment, and protection, healthy eating, vitamins, exercise programs, etc., etc. Because it's in our human reasoning, we don't live forever. And we all know that death is a process, that some live longer than others, but not a one of us is promised tomorrow. We know we all have an appointment with death, we just don't know when it's certain. You know what? You can prove this to yourself, that it's a process. All you got to do is go home, get you a high school picture out, stand in front of a mirror, hold it right beside you while you're looking in the mirror, and see if you don't see a difference. The difference is death is taking place through a process in your life. And you can tell it's creeping up on you that you're getting closer and closer. Ladies, you know how you could look in the mirror at 16, see such a smooth face. Now after 40 years, you're pulling it up, you're painting it up. And fellas, you used to stand and stare at yourself like this. Now you're standing like this. Something's changed, right? There's coming a day reality hits, all of us, and you realize you can't prevent it. You can try to prolong it, but it's going to happen one day. So you start preparing for it. So what do we do? 
We take out an insurance policy. You go buy a plot. <laughs> Young people, you may want to pay close attention right here because I'm fixing to let you in on the plot. You say, I'm going to give this. You make, so you, you go, next thing you do, you go make a will. You say, I'm going to give this to this boy because I like him. He checks on me. He respects me. He calls me. But that one right there, he only calls me when he needs something. He ain't going to get as much. Matter of fact, he still owes me some money. So let me subtract that off as well. I told him one way or the other, I'm going to get my money back. Am I right? Young people, you better treat your parents better than you are. Now, while the disciples were sitting in that room cowering down, they too were troubled about the possibility of dying, of being killed. While Jesus was in the heart of the earth, he was breaking the power of death. He was saying, never again will death control my children. Never again will you have to look in a mirror and worry it's almost over. Why? Because I live, you shall live also. You may be getting wrinkled and your body's wearing out. Your shell, your outer covering is aging. But something on the inside is happening to you. The real you on the inside of you, the spirit man, is young and it's new and it's stronger than ever before so that I can declare I cannot die. I will not die because I have eternal life abiding in me. Now, I love the way Paul taunted death. He bowed his old shoulders back and he said, Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be unto God who's given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. See, it's as if death is a wasp and he took the stinger out of it. Think about that. It's still a wasp. Therefore, it can still buzz around you. It still sounds like a wasp. It can still scare you. It can still threaten you, but when it lands on you, it can't hurt you. That's death. It's all around us. You can smell it everywhere you go. People are dying. Dreams are dying everywhere. It was David who said when he spoke of death as a believer, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. He said it's just a shadow. And because of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we do not have to suffer death. We can receive eternal life to where whether I live or whether I die, I am the Lord's. You know, the older I get, the less I care about a lot of things. I used to invest my time into worry and lose sleep over things. And I've concluded this earth is not my home, that I'm just passing through on my way to glory. What am I saying? No one redecorates a motel room. You don't check into the Holiday Inn Express. And upon doing so, you say to the desk clerk, have you got a phone number on an interior decorator that I could hire to redecorate my room? Because the desk clerk says to you, sir, how long are you planning on staying? You say, oh, probably about three days. 
but I can't live like this for that long. I mean, that red room is giving me a headache. Nobody does that, knowing they're not going to be there long, that that home is just temporary, so they don't sweat the small things. Can I tell you something, or do I even have to say what I, you know I'm fixing to say? I feel like I've been in a motel room for 59 years, and I'm not about to worry about what color my walls are, what kind of car I drive, what's going to happen to my Social Security in 20 years. I'm to a place I'm not going to spend all my time and energy or money trying to change the things I cannot change and trying to make things any better for me because I'm fixing to check out of here any day, any time now, heading to my new home, my permanent home that my father has built for me. And I realize it won't be long before he's coming to get me any day, any time, in the twinkling of an eye. Because I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, not I, but Christ who lives in me. You see, when you get focused on what really matters in life and get your mind off all the noise and all the ins insignificant things, you're worrying over and losing things you're losing sleep over, the way you view people and things in life will dramatically change. And you know what? Too often death is used to bring about that focus. That death is a messenger that speaks loudly to us. It helps you to see the reality that life is not long, it's short. That it's like a vapor that appears for a little while, then it's gone. You know, I have come to conclude whatever you ponder on becomes your reality. If you sit and ponder about the things of this world, all the chaos, all the trouble, all the tragedies, all the corruption, you will begin to believe there is no hope for this world. My goodness, you'll be oppressed, depressed, suppressed. If you're not careful, possessed. You will believe everything is dark and bleak and going to hell, including you. Your reality become one of the feet of no purpose. But if you do, according to Colossians 3, 1 and 2, it says, if then you were raised with Christ, anybody in here been raised with Christ? You were at salvation. You were buried with him and raised with him in newness of life. He says, if you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. In verse 2, he says, set your mind on these things above. In other words, ponder on these things he says, not on the things of this earth. He is saying, the more you set your mind on the things above, the more the things above will become your reality of what matters most, the eternal things. All these things down here on earth are just temporary, and they'll all fade away. But those things that are eternal will live forever, including your life. That's what's wrong with the mind of so many. That's why your mind is the battlefield. In your mind is where the battles are won and lost. It's where reality is displayed. It's where your spirit wars against your flesh. And if you're all focused, uh, all you're focused on is this world, then your flesh will always win. But when you are focused on the things above, those spiritual things, your spirit will win. Paul said it like this. He said, think on these things. Whatsoever things that are true, whatsoever things that are honest, whatsoever things that are just, whatsoever things that are pure, whatsoever things that are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. 
Do you realize he was saying, if you don't think like this, there won't be any praise. If you don't think on these things, you won't believe there'll be any reason to praise. Because a carnal mind is an enmity with God. Be you transformed and renewed by the renewing of your mind. When all of this trouble in this world surrounds us, when the enemy comes in like a flood, we've got to take the advice of David, the same advice that he gave his soldiers. When they were surrounded by their enemies in battle after battle, David instructed his men in Psalms 105, 1 and 2. He told his men in the heat of their battles, he said, when you're surrounded, oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him. Sing psalms to him. Talk of all of his wondrous works. In other words, praise him. Worship him. How can you when your enemy has surrounded you? By thinking on his mighty, wondrous acts and praising him for all of them. David said to his men, men, we're in trouble. We're surrounded by our enemies. But men... Here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing. We're going to sing to him and about him. We're going to sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. We're going to sing of how he's never failed us. We're going to sing of how he's for us and not against us. We're going to sing of how his love endureth forever. We're going to sing that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. We're going to sing when we all get to heaven what a day of rejoicing that will be. He said, men, we are going to sing. He said, in other words, praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the flute and the harp. Praise him with the timbrel and the dance. Praise him with the stringed instrument. Praise him with the loud cymbals. Praise him with the crashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise ye the Lord. Go ahead and praise him. And lastly, let's look at the ultimate example of how to face the trouble of this world. In Matthew's 26 account, Jesus is eating with the disciples, the last meal he would have with them before crucified. At the meal, he tells them what's ahead, that the hour is coming, that he'll be betrayed and crucified. While eating, he also supposes who betrayed him, Jesus Iscariot. And all the troubles facing Jesus, all of this unpleasant things that had led up to this moment, as Jesus said, all these things, the most amazing thing that he did before leaving them to face his fate, the Bible records that they sung a hymn. In the midst of it all, he sang to God and he sang about God. He hadn't even been through the crucifixion or the resurrection, but by faith he chose to sing of the promises of God. And celebrate those things he hadn't even experienced yet. And church, we too must learn to worship and celebrate what we haven't even experienced yet. If my musicians will come. We've got to celebrate the promises that we have of eternal life now in this life. That no matter what surrounds us, that no matter what we face, we've got to keep our minds in this day and hour upon the things above. And remember that because he lives, we shall live also. Church, we should not be known as the walking dead. 
but we should be known as the living among the dead. We are the redeemed, and let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Would you stand to your feet this morning? When was the last time that you sang like you truly believe Jesus is alive? When was the last time that you truly focused and you celebrated the fact that you have eternal life? When is the last time that you rejoice knowing that your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life? When you came to church this morning, what was your focus? What was your perspective? What did you plan for today? You should have planned a celebration. This should always be a celebration in the house of the Lord. And in order to celebrate life, we always have to celebrate Jesus Christ because he is the life. And God sent me today to tell some people that are going through some tough times in your life that the enemy may be surrounding you. Death may be approaching you. But I just want to tell you something this morning. You should rejoice if for nothing else more than the fact that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life and that because he lives, you're going to live. And if you put your focus on the things above, these things down here won't worry you so much. You serve a God of hope. And if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning, the first thing I'm going to do is give you that opportunity to make your way to this altar. And you can receive Jesus Christ as your living Lord and Savior that you may have life and have it more abundantly as well. I'm opening that up to you. But for the rest of us at this time, I want you to put everything aside this morning. All of your troubles, the weight on your shoulders. And the way I want to enter in this service today is us taking a moment to celebrate Jesus for this is a day of celebration. Give him praise. Stay with us. Come on. Oh, you have given me a joy that walks out and will never leave. So I will praise you with gladness for you are good. Oh, you have given me a joy.
Oh, come on, give him praise. Say goodbye, troubles, goodbye. Wave your troubles goodbye this morning. In the name of the Lord, enjoy your life. You have been given eternal life. Every day you should enjoy life, and you should give God praise for your life. May God bless you. You're dismissed.